is good. He's better than good. His mercy endures forever. You know, you can tell the importance of uh, a, an item by how many names it takes to uh, describe it. You know, how many different words are used to describe that? When the Old Testament writer started trying to describe God, he said, well, he's Jehovah Nisi, he's Jehovah Shalom, he's Jehovah Sidkenu, he's Jehovah Rapha. Yeah, he, he just kept going. And finally in the New Testament, we get the name that's above every name, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. I'm thankful that I know that name tonight. And when you say Jesus, you say all of that Old Testament wrapped up in one. The mighty God in Christ. Praise God. I'm glad I know him tonight. I'm glad I know him. Well, it's good to see you here tonight. It is spring break. I leaned over to Brother Land and I said, it'd been a good night for tacos. <laughs> well, don't don't be surprised. Show up one Wednesday night and we have a little worship and have a little Taco Bell. Oh, Lord, please save us from that. I heard something the other day that got my mind turning and my spirit... Uh, wrapped up in what it was saying and I maybe I should have left this one in the incubator a little longer but we're going to take it out tonight amen Leviticus chapter 6 while you're turning just uh, a word of information to our church family I will be out this weekend, I'm having a knee surgery Friday, long needed knee surgery, hopefully just repairs, but uh, if you don't see us here, it's not because we don't love you and we don't want to be around you, uh, but because of other issues. I've told people I've been road hard and put up wet, and that's no joke. That is no joke. Leviticus chapter 6, I want to read beginning with verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. Now, I want to pause there. I don't know. Somehow in the future we may explore that, but it, it is called a burnt offering because it is burned all night. It's not just singed. Some things we put on the altar, fire, just a little while, and then we take it right back off. But he said, you leave it on that 
altar all night long. I want the fire to have the full effect upon the sacrifice. I want everything to be consumed that can be consumed. Now, there are some things that cannot be consumed. And they remain, and those are the ashes. And God tells them what to do with the ashes. Well, I better hurry on. Because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh. And take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar. And he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments. And carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. And it shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. Verse 13. And the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. If somebody said amen. I want to talk to you about fresh fire. It will not be a um, the best study or sermon you've ever heard. But I hope you feel the heart of your pastor tonight. God bless you. You may be seated. I mentioned in the beginning that I heard something that provoked my spirit this week and that simple statement that a mill does not turn on water that is past. For a mill to continue to produce, it needs a continuous flow of water doesn't matter what happened yesterday or what it accomplished yesterday. That's gone. What it needs today is a fresh supply of water that flows to keep the wheel turning so that it will produce the grain or the flowers or whatever that is uh, the purpose of the mill. For that mill to continue to produce, it needs a continuous flow of water. And for the mill to continue to turn and for it to produce its product, it needs that continuous flow. And so it is for the church. We cannot live on yesterday's blessing yesterday's move, yesterday's service, yesterday's offering. It is something that we must continually bring 
before the Lord. We love to quote the scripture that God's grace is sufficient for us. And by that, many times we exempt ourselves, and that becomes our way of throwing it all on God and saying, God, this is all on you. But it does not say that grace is a substitute. It says grace is sufficient. But if grace is to be sufficient in my life and your life, there has to be a continual application of the principles of grace and the principles of righteousness that are found in the Word of God. I cannot live on yesterday's blessing or whatever else there is that I can consider of yesterday. I need a fresh flow. I need a fresh fire continually burning on my altar. We cannot live on the ashes of yesterday's fire. You cannot offer sacrifices on the ashes of yesterday's fire. Those ashes have to be cleaned out. They're the part of that wood that could not be consumed by the burning. That's a part of us that often when we find on the altar when God's consuming fire moves and we we feel the convicting power of his spirit and his spirit begins to communicate and talk to us and we feel convicted or we feel compelled to commitments or to certain acts of, of faith we 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 must Remember that there's a part of everything that we do that is not going to be burned up on the fire and it cannot be left in the fire. It's got to be taken out and removed. It doesn't matter what God did last week. It doesn't mean that it wasn't important because the scripture declares in Romans chapter 15 that All scripture, all of this previous scripture, the Old Testament, the part that so many people want to ignore, it was written for our example. It was given to us for instruction so that we would understand the work of righteousness and how God operates. So there is no portion of scripture whenever it was spoken that is irrelevant to the times in which we live. It has a message for our time. It has a word to speak to us in this hour. And I must be aware that whatever God has done is a foundation upon which he wants to continue to work. But what I can never become guilty of is resting on what God has done in my life. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that come to church that live on what God did for them 20 years ago. And that's good, but that's not what God wants from me today. You can't keep a mill turning on water that has passed. And a church cannot keep functioning on what God has done for us 
yesterday. I don't care how great God moves. There is a continuous need for us to bring a fresh offering to the altar every time we come in. We may sing the same songs, but there needs to be a fresh fervor in our heart when we sing those words. They're not repetition, they're not rote, they're not ritual, but they're a true desire of the heart to really lift our voice and let Him know how wonderful and magnificent and how marvelous that He really is. God promised Hezekiah, 15 more years. But it cannot be supposed that just because God promised Hezekiah 15 more years, he would have lived if he had not eaten or exercised or slept or done the normal things that you do to continue to live. God's grace is sufficient. But there's a part in all of this that we continually play and we can never come into the house of God saying God's got it. He does have it. He did do it and he will do it, but he is expecting something from me every time I enter into the house of God. He is looking for me to offer a fresh offering of praise, a fresh offering of prayer or worship or whatever I must give him. The important thing to remember is that God did start the fire. They didn't kindle the fire that was on this altar. God started it. But he expected them to maintain it. And sometimes people, God fills them with the Holy Ghost. And they think that the rest of it is up to God. But there's a part that I play in the continual process of God's work. And keeping that fire going requires a fresh supply of whatever nourishes a fire. Whatever material or matter that nourishes a fire, then there has to be a fresh supply of that coming to that altar continue. So what are those nourishing materials that keep the fire burning? Obviously, prayer is one of them. And there must be a continual effort of prayer in the church. Not just what we do in the prayer room, but a continual offering of prayer in our lives on a daily basis. We have had questions about what we're going to do next in our building. And there have been ideas thrown around You know, we could knock that wall out and we could take that in. I'm going to tell you what I would rather do. Rather than eliminating a prayer room, I would rather go to two services before I would want to eliminate a prayer room. Because a prayer room is the root of what brought us to where we are. And it's where that fire is continually brought before the Lord. And I, one, I'm not saying that that that's necessarily what needs to happen. I'm just saying if it was up to me, I would much rather have to do two or three or four services 
and still have a prayer room than eliminate a prayer room because as soon as we make it unimportant here, it will be unimportant there. Amen. Somebody say we need it. Amen. What's another material that keeps the fire nourished on the altar is our worship. Worship. You know, we, we do this every service. And some people think that three songs and a testimony and an offering is preaching and that's a good service. But there, there has to be something in us that yearns to express gratitude. Has God been good to you? Did you wake up this morning? Did you have a reason to praise Him? Is your heart still functioning today? Are your arms still working today? Then you have a reason to lift those arms and praise Him. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think, doesn't matter that it's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, or whatever night. When we come into the house, there is something, there is an incense that goes up before the Lord that is pleasing to Him. And the scripture says that He dwells in the praises of Israel. And we are the Israel of God in the New Testament time. We are that body that when we come together and we lift up our voices in worship, what are we doing? We are telling him, God, I just want to thank you again today that I have health and my mind and I have the strength to be here and you've blessed me and you've kept me and you've prevented this and you allowed that and here I am. Praise God. Worship. One of the most important nourishing aspects of keeping that fire burning. Another nourishing element is something that very few of us ever consider. And that is the love of God. Not Him to us, but His love in us to others. I have been stirred recently and I, I would love at some point to share with you what I have sensed the Lord speaking to me about His love. But I think it's one of the most misunderstood aspects of God. And where I think it is most misunderstood is not God's love to us. But it is how that love to us should be reflected to others. I'm glad God loves me. I'm glad God loves you. As a matter of fact, I was reading Malachi today. And he began, Malachi was the, is the last word from God for 400 years. And, and they argue with him. It's amazing. They argue with him. God makes statements toward them. You've robbed me. How we, wherein? That word appears like uh, seven, eight, or nine times. Wherein have we done this? 
And if you look at the book of Malachi, you see a people, and by the way, Malachi coincides with Nehemiah, probably came immediately after or at the end of Nehemiah's lifetime. And if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, you know there was the rebuilding of the walls. And there was this coming back together and Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple. And, and, and all that they did, and they, re, the, in, in Nehemiah's time, they returned to the offerings of sacrifice. And as, as a matter of fact, I think Burnt offerings were even mentioned from Nehemiah's writings that they were brought back to importance in, in the lives of God's people now that their city was being rebuilt and the temple was being rebuilt. The walls were coming together and all of those wonderful things happening and all of the functions, they started back into the, the functions of the church and uh, uh, they started uh, uh, all of the rituals back up and they were going through all these things. Aren't you glad you're not? <laughs> Don't be laughing. I've got a grandkid growing up and he's fixing to do the same thing probably. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hey, listen to me. They did all of that. And God looked at what they offered and God said, No. That's not, that's not what I want. What do you mean that's not what you want? We're doing all the sacrifice. They had all the formalism. They had all the ritualism. They did, they knew God's name. They knew how to pronounce God's name. But they were devoid of the spirit that God wanted to be the motivating factor behind why they did what they did. It had become a ritual. And they thought their ritual was sufficient enough for God. Their ritual should be accepted by God. And God said, I don't want your ritual. I want your heart. I want your spirit. I want, I want something intrinsically inside of you. I want there to be an offering of yourself to me. And listen to me. God hasn't changed his mind about those things. And when you read the book of Malachi, what really astonished me with all that Israel was doing wrong, and if you, you can read it and, 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 and look at all of the things that God was offended at them about, and they would argue with him and say, God, where, where did we do that? When did that happen? When have we not loved you? But he begins his writing to Malachi by saying this to them. I have loved you. I have loved you. Now we read that, we don't think much of it. But when you consider that when he said that, they were just going through the ritual. Their heart was far from him. They had no spiritual connection to God. It was just 
a formality and it was making sure you dot all the I's and cross all the T's and you mark that off for the week. I went to church. I did my duty. But he said, there's no, there's no heart in what you're doing. There has to be a connection, a love connection between me and God, not just between God and me. And God said, I have loved you. Even when you were doing all of that stuff that angered me. That's, that's an, that's an amazing statement about God. Before he ever utters a word of judgment against his people, he said, I have loved you. And that love has never failed. And that love that he has extended to me is a love that I must in turn extend to others. Not just the ones that I want to love, but all of his people. You know, it's amazing. If I could get that one principle driven home as a pastor, it would eliminate 99% of all church problems. Because if you love somebody, you're going to bear long with them. If you love somebody, you're going to be patient. What is it? Somebody want to pull up 1 Corinthians 13? Where he describes what love is? What is it? Love is patient. Love is kind. Just, I I sound like a grumpy old man tonight and I'm not. Love is kind. It doesn't mean that you have to be ushy-gushy over everything. Sometimes in life you just have to be kind to people. You don't have to like them. Just be kind to them. But what would happen in your life and my life if we would make room for people's humanity? You know, we never give people the, the, the benefit of the doubt, typically. We don't ever think that what they might be going through or what they have dealt with or where they're at or or what season of life they're in. If they say something or do something we don't like, the fight is on. And we do most of our fighting nowadays on Facebook, but you just guarantee somebody's going to blast something. You could put something out there that was as sincere as as God is and somebody is going to find something they can say that will fry your eggs that's all I can say yeah but love is kind it's patient patient wonder what would happen to a church if true Loving patience operated in all of us. You know what patience means? It means you endure. You put up with. Now, 
we want God to put up with us. How many of you are perfect tonight? You do everything right. You never get a bad attitude. You never say a wrong word. You never think a bad thought. We want God to be patient with us. But it's amazing how short Holy Ghost filled people can be. It is amazing to me how acid the tongue can be. How we can dress somebody down in a New York second. Yeah. But love is kind. It's patient. What does it say? It's long-suffering. Long. You didn't need this tonight, did you? This is spring break week. We should be having lollipops and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Love. I am convinced tonight that if we as a church can ever really grasp what his love to us is for, so that we will reflect it to the world. It will change the way we view people. It will change the way we interact with people. It will cause us to stop before we say something that we can't take back. You you, You can't unsay it. You can apologize and you can say I didn't mean it that way, but you can't. Once it's out, it's out. But if love could truly operate in us, that love would cause us to stop before we said that harsh word. Stop before we did that act. Stop before we reacted like we did. And it would make... That's part of the fuel that keeps the fire burning. It's not just his love toward us. It's the love that we have toward us. And I have, I have tons of scripture to back that up. I don't have time to go into them. Obviously, it, the word keeps the fire burning. We meditate on the word. We study the word. We love the word. But I will tell you another thing that keeps the fire burning, and that is our very thoughts. The Bible says that he knows the thought and the intent of the heart. And there is sometimes that we don't even have the words to say. But I believe that when our thoughts, our mind... Our very being is meditating on him. It is putting fresh wood on that fire. God, I may not be able to say, there's times that I don't even have the words to know how to pray the way I need to pray. But my thoughts are toward him. My thoughts are in his direction. I'm thinking godly things. What did Paul say about If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on 
these things. What thing? Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things. You know, he, he gives us a list. Eight things, I think, that are mentioned there. And he said, if they're... Think on these things because when you allow those to become your thoughts, then you're adding fuel to that fire to keep it burning. Because we're not always able to be in church together. We're not always able to even pray or worship or love people in the way that we need to love. But we can continually put on that altar that Substance that helps keep the fire burning and it is the very thought and the intent of the heart. There are obviously things that could keep that fire from burning. There are things that could cause it to go out. If you don't remove the ashes, you can get a lot of buildup of ash and it will actually snuff out the fire. That's why we need to clean them out We don't need to let stuff build up in our life. We need to get to an altar. You know what our pastor used to tell us? Have you prayed about it yet? And then, have you prayed through about it? Because some things you have to do more than just pray about. You have to pray through about them. I have to keep praying until I pray. I have to keep praying until I break through. What is that? That's moving all of those ashes because there's stuff that builds up in our life. We don't mean for it to. I don't mean to get a bad attitude. I I don't mean for that to happen. But you know what? On the way to work, some nitwit pulls out in front of you and you... Blow a gasket. You know, then you got to repent. And you hope nobody's reading your lips. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Things like that. That's why when you come to prayer so many times, it's like wading through quicksand. And people give up. They say, well, God's not here tonight. God's here all the time. We're not here all the time. We may be here in body, but we're not here in spirit. So we have to wade through some. That's why it takes seven or eight songs sometimes to finally get to the place where, boom, the, you, you can feel that breakthrough. We step through that veil. We move beyond the distractions. I feel so sorry for our praise team sometimes when we start church because Sam's mind is at six flags and Bill's mind is at work and Sue's mind is is at Dillard's and somebody it's like we're trying to bring all of these our problems our kids our troubles our journeys our our vacations our uh, whatever plans are and we got to wade through all of that we got to pray through that that's why you got to get the ashes out of the way Somebody say you got to get them out of the way. The second thing is that you just don't keep putting fuel on it. I read a humorous story several years ago in the famous Rose Bowl parade. One of the floats was halted in the middle 
of the parade. It's one of the largest, I guess it's still on New Year's Day uh, celebrations, the Rose Bowl Parade. All of these floats that they spend thousands and thousands of dollars decorating. And uh, one of their large floats all of a sudden quit moving. And obviously it caused a chain reaction. Everybody behind. And it, it took them a while before they finally discovered the problem. But they discovered that it was out of gas. But the embarrassing part was it was the standard oil company's float that was out of gas. You got to keep the fuel coming. And then carelessness, just slumbering, sleeping, thinking I can rest on my laurels. All of that can cause the fire to go out. I shared this with the church and I'm going to close. A few years ago we went to Central Europe on a trip and I was amazed at what we were able to see. In particular, the pride that they had in all of their historical buildings. It's amazing that in that area of the world... New old is three, two to three hundred years old. Old is three to five hundred, nine hundred years old. But during that trip and our visits, one of the places that I went to, my wife, I think she got tired of it after a while, but I tried to go into every church that we came to. And there were some amazing, massive cathedrals and basilicas. Uh, uh, St. Stephen's uh, Basilica in Vienna is 180 feet wide, 285 feet long, and 314 feet tall. St. Vitus in Prague is 197 feet wide, 407 feet long, and 337 feet tall. It took them over 500 years to complete the Cathedral of St. Vitus. The irony is, though they were very proud of those landmarks, they had become just that, landmarks. That area of the country, that area of Europe is 98, 99% atheist. When you would go into these massive basilicas, the ornate beauty and artwork and design, and you can argue about the root of it and what all... At one time, they had been a beacon of light of some kind to that world. As a matter of fact, the Reformation started in that part of Europe. Not far from where we were at in Germany, there was nailed to the door of the church, the 99 Thesis, and it began the Reformation. 
And it swept through Central Europe. And now all of these years later, in Prague alone, from downtown Prague, you can look and see 13 of these massive cathedrals that dot the landscape. And yet, nobody goes there but the tourist. What happened? What transpired that changes a church of life into a symbolic something that we can make money off of for people to come and visit. Somebody let the fire go out. Somebody started resting on what they could do in, or what they did in the past and didn't worry about what they needed in the present. They were buildings without occupants. They were structures without significance. They were symbols without the supernatural. Edifices without power. That's what can happen even in this day if we do not understand the importance of keeping fresh fire on our altar. That's why prayer is important in this church. That's why I encourage all of you to commit to a season of prayer in your life. I do. I want you to. I I know that I should pray more and we all should pray more. But there should be a commitment that that's one thing that we're not going to go back on. We're going to have a commitment to genuine, heartfelt, sincere Worship. I'm not interested in performance. I'm not interested in some kind of theatrics. What I want is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost in our midst. And in order for there to be a demonstration, there has to be something on that altar that continually burns that enables that to be. In the birthplace of an awakening, there could be this deadness and darkness that has come over that area of the world because somebody neglected that altar. Somebody maybe waited on somebody else to bring the fire or somebody else to to not bring the fire, but bring the, the, the wood or bring the, the, the substance, whatever it was that would nurture a fire. They, they just, well, they'll, somebody will surely do that tonight. And soon nobody was doing it. I believe that it's possible for us to lose the true meaning of what we're here for if we simply allow ourselves to get in a rut of ritual. And going through the motions. That's why every service, I don't care Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, there is an effort put forth from this church and from the leadership of this church to make sure that there is a visitation of God in this place. And I am here to tell you right now, I was born in the fire. I don't want to live in smoke. 
I want there to be something fresh in this place continually. Because a world that we live in right now is desperate for that fresh fire from heaven. If you don't believe it, go back a few weeks and look at what happened in the state of Kentucky at a college where kids just got hungry and they said, we believe God can do again what he did in the book of Acts and God began to move. I don't care what you think about their theology. What happened in that place was a move of God's presence and a visitation of God's spirit because they were hungry. They were hungry. They were reaching. They were making sure that there was fresh fire on that altar. Let's stand together. Praise God. I have come to realize afresh over the last few weeks of my life that the only hope we have of a future power with God is to pursue that power in the present. We cannot think or hope that because he did it yesterday, he will do it again today. We must pursue it. We must desire it. We must put forth our effort. I don't want to become a church that looks the part but has lost the power. And it's happening all around us. And I'm not making a judgmental call about any church. Please don't misread what I'm saying. I am saying simply that in our world so much of the church is about performance. Making sure that service starts at 10 o'clock sharp and ends at 10.30 dull. I would, I'm, I'm interested in more than that. And I pray that you're interested in more than that. And that we would come to desire Him so much and we would pursue Him so earnestly we're not even conscious of time. I remember days when that was so. Amen. And many of you do too. Praise God. Reach over and take somebody by the hand and say, God, we need fresh fire. We need fresh fuel for the fire. God, I need fresh fuel for the fire. I need fresh fuel to bring to the altar. I need a fresh Desire. I need a fresh burden. I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost in my life. We need a fresh fuel to put upon the fire for today. I want to bring an offering of sacrifice that is pleasing to you, Lord. I want you... To receive the glory and the honor and the praise and the power and the majesty and the might and the dominion. Lord, I want you to be exalted in this place in everything that we do. Every song, every word, every effort, Lord, every ministry. Let there be a love that surges through us to all of those who come through our doors. 
Lord, we love you tonight. We love you tonight. We love you tonight. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and praise Him. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I love you tonight and I pray that you will let God talk to you and let that fire burn forever on the altar in your life and in the life of this church because we cannot live on what has passed. We cannot offer sacrifices on the fires of yesterday. We need fresh fire. Amen. God bless you tonight. I love you. See you Sunday.